What's happening, Reds? It's Jamie Webster here. Just wanted to say, um, subscribe, subscribe, subscribe below. Thank you very much. Hi everyone and welcome to another episode of the Liverpool Connection podcast where we bring you guests that come on and tell their Liverpool stories and who better today we've got a, a double 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 uh, guest and they collaborated on a new book that we'll talk about in a little while and um, the fir- first guest is Stephen Dunn who is the LFC historian and head curator for the LFC museum so if you are at Anfield, go to the museum because there, <laughs> there's an amazing array of uh, Liverpool history in there, not just Jurgen Klopp and, and this team. <laughs> just keep going, just keep going. Um, and also uh, lifelong uh, red and artist is Neville Gaby. Um, so welcome to the Liverpool Connection cast, uh, yeah. podcast, lads. Yeah, it's fantastic to be with you. Yeah, fantastic to be here. As we said, finally, finally, <laughs> a couple of wildfires and, uh, you know, bits and bobs, but uh, all four of us are finally on the same screen, which is great. Um, yeah. I am going to kick off, uh, as I always do. Um, so I'll start with you, Stephen. Um, why Liverpool Football Club? Um, when did you first start uh, supporting the team? <laughs> Well, it turns out that my story is one that seems to be shared by quite a lot of people of my generation. I mean, I'm going to be 62 next week, so you get an idea of which generation I'm talking about, in that um, it was the 1971 FA Cup final that did it. And I think it's kind of, in some ways, it's almost emblematic of Liverpool Football Club and the magic of our incredible football team and its history, in that it's the FA Cup final we lost that made me a Liverpool supporter. And actually, over the years, I've met so many people who've all said the same, 1971 FA Cup final. And you know what? I think there's something really wonderful about this fact that you fall in love with the football club when your team is lost. And I think there's a, there's, a, there's, a, there's, there's a nice lesson there for everybody, particularly the young kids these days who, who you know, who think the world has come to an end when we, we you know, you lose one nil in a, in a preseason friendly. Um, but, you know, for me, um, I, I never grew up in Liverpool, uh, although ancestrally I've got links that go quite a long way back. And indeed, two, two, two ancestors uh, with, uh, played for Liverpool, Cyril Doan being the most famous of. Um, so I grew up in a, in a city that didn't have a, a, a first, a, or I grew up in small towns, really, which didn't have top football teams. So you kind of shop around should we say to try and see who you who you, who you like but I just remember watching with my grandfather the 71 final I remember thinking this is Steve Highway I like this name Highway it's kind of cool and I loved the way he ran and the ball that seemed to be kind of attached to a string or something to his foot because it didn't seem to matter what he did he always seemed to have the ball with him and, and the rest of the team I don't know something about them they they just seem to be exciting and thrilling and yes they narrowly lost the final um but i just remember as charlie george lay on his back um having scored the the winner for arsenal feeling disappointment oh i kind of want liverpool to win but then the, the key moment was um 
Um, sorry, I, I said my grandfather. I actually met my uncle. Uh, my uncle was sitting next to me. And being, for, at the time, living down in Bristol, uh, where they speak with a different accent, I kind of thought his, his mellowed-out Liverpool accent was actually Mancunian. Yeah, sorry, I know, I know. Um, but the thing is, in fairness, he was living on the edge of Manchester and had done for years, and he probably had kind of sat somewhere in between. And, and he was equally disappointed. And I said, yeah, but, you know, Alan, you know, why, 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 why do you care? You know, I mean, you know, and he said, I'm not from Manchester, Steve. I'm from Liverpool. I was born in St. Domingo's Row. And I said, like, hey, wait a minute, what's this St. Domingo's? So then you get the story. St. Domingo's, they were the originators. Then you get Everton. Then you get Liverpool, who go to, you know, da, 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 da. next thing you know, I'm just thinking, yeah. I've always wanted to go to Liverpool. The first thing, first memory of life on earth was listening to the Beatles, you know, blah, blah, blah. And you, you meld it all together and, yeah, it's Liverpool, isn't it? It has to be. It can only be Liverpool. <laughs> there you go. That's why. When was, when was your first uh, Anfield experience? My first Anfield experience... Um, didn't come for a while because in those days it was very difficult. You know, you know, so much money, you lived a long way away, and so on. So it actually wasn't really until I managed to get to university up in Leeds. And um, but of course, Leeds to Liverpool was dead easy to do. You could hop on a train and you could get across. So 1978 was when I got into Anfield for the first time. And in those days, you could just rock up there and join a queue and you could get yourself. I, I, no, I didn't get into the cop. I got into the main stand. doesn't matter. Who cares? I got into Anfield. You get into, and that, that's the thing. Uh, and it, you know what? The stupid thing is, though, for the life of me, I keep trying to remember what game did I go and watch? And I actually have to admit that I don't remember. And I'm not going to lie and make up a game. <laughs> I think I was just so excited to be there. It was more than excitement. Uh, and somehow it's, you know, the, the memory cells have, have erased exactly what game it was, but it doesn't matter. Um, but um, and another great experience, or should we say, well, great, might not be the quiet word, um, an, an intriguing experience. I was in Leeds and, and, and I'd spent some of my early youth in Yorkshire, so I, I, I wasn't exactly... Um, unappreciative of Leeds United. And in fact, I, I've always thought, you know, that Don Revy and Leeds United were, were one of the great uh, rivalries, actually, of, of Liverpool. So I remember saying to my friend Trevor, who had a terribly, terribly English posh accent, a uh, fellow student, I said, look, why don't we go down to Ellen Road? Because Liverpool are playing. And, and, and if we can get in, we, we can see Liverpool versus Leeds. Well, Leeds versus Liverpool. But of course, this was Ellen Road. And, this was 19, probably about 1979, and those who know their history will know that that was a very, very, very poisonous place to be around then, because the National Front, the, the, the far right, basically was born effectively in Ellen Road. And I, I, I hasten to point out, as far as I understand, Leeds is a, is, is a downside better place, thankfully, than it was then. So it was a scary place because we could only get in on a Leeds ticket. So, of course, we had to, we kind of got in there, or watching Liverpool, who obviously thrash them and <laughs> but realizing I cannot make any gestures or moves that suggest that I want the red team to have won because the people around me frankly were terrifying <laughs> drunk and extraordinarily 
racist, <laughs> frankly. And, and I just remember thinking uh, and said to Trevor, look, your accent is not definitely not Leeds, but it's really a very long way from being Scouse. And, and, I, and <laughs> I also don't have a Liverpool accent. And so I said, you know, we'll, we'll just have sort of be, you know, we're, we're just two college lads who really like Leeds United, you know? <laughs> and I just remember getting out of there and there were kind of these scary National Front guys with dogs on chains and everything, just thinking, yeah, anyway. But, but still, you know, it was experience. We saw Liverpool again and so on and so on. So, you know, so it's, it's really late 70s. But, hey, you know, it's a good time to start jumping on the <laughs> Liverpool bandwagon of, of watching them, isn't it? So, you know. Definitely. So. <laughs> and, and, and for you, Neville? Um, well, I, I guess it's amazing how parallel stories Steve and I have. But the first game that I remember, Liverpool, I grew up in South Africa, was um, with my uncle Sam, who was an obsessive football fan in a rugby culture country. Um, we went to all sorts of games there. But listening to the FA Cup uh, final, 1971, exactly the same. We didn't have TV in South Africa. It was banned in the early 70s, so it was on the radio. But actually the sounds coming from that stadium of the voices and the singing, just I, I was blown away by that. So, so that was, again, my first, well, the first moments when I encountered Liverpool as as a football club, but even as a place. I was 6,000 miles away, but... Uh, I guess within 18 months, my, we moved from South Africa because of the whole apartheid situation there. So my first game at Anfield was 1973, April 73, and actually it was a sellout. You needed tickets. It was Liverpool-Leeds United. And I guess it, historically, such an important match because... You know, Liverpool went on to win the league that season and that was the beginning of the most incredible uh, run of success through the 70s. So um, it, that was the first my, my first taste of being in the city and my first taste of Anfield. And um, yeah, I, I, I got shivers down my spine and I still do every time I go. <laughs> that, that's what I love. Like, if, if you ever really talk to anyone, you know, whether you've been once or you've been a hundred times, you know, you still yeah. get those goosebumps. You do. Absolutely. Totally. It's just, you know, you know, walking up Anfield Road or Breck Road, just getting near the ground and seeing the people and the crowds and the, mm. you know, the pubs full of people and the, everyone having their chips and curry saw, you know, the whole experience of yeah. the smell of the ground, the smell of the, 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 the atmosphere around as you walk up the streets, you know, it's, um, yeah, it's got such an amazing vibe. The whole city does. I, I, um, I'm totally in love with the city and the club. Obviously, <laughs> I'm gonna, I'm gonna bring Steen now. He's been a bit quiet. <laughs> no, I'm just enjoying the stories. You know, every time we speak to, or have a podcast, and we just hear the stories, it, it just so exciting to hear different perspectives and, uh, you know, what you bring to the table as far as you know the Liverpool fandom and and. Um, the historical context of what you guys bring up, you know, past games that you've seen. So it's always interesting to hear um, these, these type of stories. I, I do want to ask you, Stephen, um, as your job as the creator of the museum there, um, I remember when my first time at Anfield, I, I was able to take a tour through that. And I was just blown away, right? Just seeing the trophies and the pictures and the memorabilia that, that goes back to the, the beginning days of the, the club. Tell us a little bit about your job there and how uh, when people come and you see it and the satisfaction you get when people come to visit. 
Okay, well, in fact, um, this September, it'll be 25 years since uh, I joined the club. I mean, quarter of a century with a little football club, hey? <laughs> from from kind of watching an FA Cup final loss when you're 11 or heading towards 11, you know, 10 going on 11. You know, it's incredible, isn't it? Um, so basically, um, I, I created the museum. Everything you see there, I created it. Um, uh, although I also uh, must, must pay tribute to my, my, my dear friend who's sadly no longer with us, uh, Brian Hall, former player for Liverpool. <laughs> and um, he was our kind of PR exec at the time. Lovely, lovely man. I mean, just such a lovely guy. A very intelligent guy as well. I mean, in fact, um, he was known as Little Bamba and uh, Steve Highway is known as Big Bamba, uh, and, uh, a reference that's probably lost on, on a huge number of people watching this podcast. But Bamba Gascoigne was a, a rather prof- professorial guy with sort of curly hair and bald head who did an extremely erudite um, uh, university quiz program. And you, you had to be extraordinarily clever to even get on the quiz program and then answer a question. So, of course, because Brian and, and, and Steve actually had degrees, they were instantly just <laughs> elevated to the same level. But actually, in all seriousness, he was, a, he was a lovely guy. So it was his idea to try and create a museum. And they got me on board. And um, we had a tiny selection of, of actually rather beautiful objects, I've got to say, that the, the club had sort of slowly assembled and when I say small number I'm talking what maybe 20 objects so you're talking 20 things and like well, okay Steve we've got an empty room and um, you've got a desk and a phone do you remember those by the way you know old-fashioned phones anyway <laughs> and it's right well you know over to you and um, slowly we, we managed to put it all together so within six months we'd opened the place um, it's changed a few times over the years although uh, remodeled a little bit um, but basically, we've packed it full uh, uh, of uh, 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 as much stuff as we can realistically get in there without making it look ridiculous. And I've got an enormous storeroom full of all the stuff that we can't fit in there, which is frustrating. But hey, never mind. At least we saved it. Um, so what sort of things do we have in there? You know, and over the years, I mean, I, I, it, it's been an incredible experience and also an involving experience because obviously you have to adapt somewhat to the fortunes of the club, which change and ebb and flow like the sea. Uh, In fact, actually, I joined and our fortunes somewhat continued to ebb for a little bit. But then, you know what? It's one of those great joys. I can remember saying to Brian, you know what, Brian? I really like the UEFA Cup. I would absolutely love to see the real one in the museum one day. And he's going, okay. So Gerard Houllier joins and Gerard Houllier goes and wins the UEFA Cup. And it's just that great pleasure when you, you, you carry the real thing in your arms. So then I said to Brian, well, I think we really need to make four full-size replicas of the four, the big four, the European trophies. And those went in the museum. And people still adore them, even to this day. I mean, they're, they're, they're the fiberglass covered in silver paint. They look amazing, but people just like, wow, wow. Anyway, these were there for years, and of course, we we dreamed and dreamed. I just said, look, you know, the thing is, this UEFA Cup, but we could do with another one of those. <laughs> and of course, two thousand five comes along, and um, you know, and one of those great moments of your life. Not only do you get taken to Istanbul for the day, 
Don't ask. Don't do it, by the way. Uh, just a, just a, a piece of advice to anyone out there. You don't go to Istanbul for United Kingdom for the day. It's, it, it, it's a long day. In fact, it stretches the concept of day to, 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 to breaking limit. But anyway, I did it. I did it. I was there. I was there. I actually managed to get back. I managed to get back in time somehow to actually see the bus arriving, the open-top bus outside St. George's Hall. Managed to then escape the unbelievable crowds to get home uh, and the next morning which is now the morning of the 27th of May I'm sitting in this tiny little office I had at the time completely on a different planet through lack of sleep and exhaustion and over excitement there's a little knock on the door and a bin liner Oof. there you go mate it's yours it lost the flight case. Pulled down the bin line. There he is big ears. There's mm-hmm. the nice. trophy, you know. So, you know, putting that in, walking into the museum with the world's media and everybody just screaming as I carried this trophy. You know, it's things like this which are just so exciting. But, you know, we got all sorts of quirky stuff. And um, that's one of the things that we've always done in our museum. Uh, we got mm-hmm. things like. Um, a plastic hard hat, you know, that construction workers would wear from 19, from about 1971, 72. And this guy, he was a construction worker in Liverpool, Scouser. He just painted in crude red letters, the name of his footballing heroes, including Brian Hall, you know, and he would wear this on the cop, you know, I mean, it's stuff like this handmade stuff that you could say it's worthless, but it's not worthless. It's, 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 you know, the, He's no longer alive. His family just can't believe that we actually want to put this in the museum. Well, of course we do. You know, mm. I just think it's brilliant that somebody could actually paint a hard hat and stick it on his head and stand in the cop cheering team. That's Liverpool, isn't it? You know, we've got the curl it cup, as we call it, this homemade trophy that really is a piece of junk. You know, it's just plastic and, and wood and paint crudely put together. But actually, we formally celebrated two First Division League championships. Bill Shankly, the whole team with this plastic trophy. It's actually as important as the real silver old lady trophy, as we like to call it, the old First Division trophy. I mean, I, I would actually say this, the Curlet Cup is possibly one of the most powerful and important objects we have. It was made by two local lads, the Curlet brothers, and it was celebrated with, by Bill Shankly twice. I mean, you could, I mean, one other top club in the world would actually do that. I don't think there is another top club would do it. It would be beneath them. It's like, celebrating with that it's embarrassing you know you know we have little things like that other things i've got which i we, we, over the years managed to collect two little um season ticket booklets you know one's from i think it's 1894 but when you open it you realize it's a woman who's bought it and that instantly you know we're, we're, we're enjoying and watching the the women's euros at the moment which are fantastic by the way and you look at this and realize wait a minute you know women have always got to watch football and women bought season tickets and sat in the main stand in fact we have two season tickets for two different women one from i think eight as i say this this early one i think the other one's 1899 uh, 1900 i mean Lovely little items, but again, just a little window on, a, on, on our supporters. So, yeah, and we also have, for instance, a whole room dedicated to us winning the Premier League, mm-hmm. the Premier League that we all watched rather like we are now, virtually, <laughs> rather than actually saw. Um, but at least, it, 
you know, it helps people try to connect with that that incredible season where we actually achieved it. You know, Jurgen Klopp is indeed represented, and all the other players and so forth. So, you know, it, it takes you from the very first days. In fact, the very earliest thing that we have in the museum is a ticket for um, a preseason match, and it's Everton Football Club versus Derby County, I think, or is it Notts Forest? I forget. Anyway, um, but the point is, it's a preseason friendly of Everton Football Club at Anfield. And it dates from 1891 when Anfield was uh, was Everton Football Clubs, which I think is kind of interesting when you look at that and think, wow, you know, how did that happen? <laughs> you know, yeah. I, I, I love things like that, you know, right up to the most recent thing. Uh, well, I'll be collecting it when I get back to England is, is a whole heap of kit from the season just gone. What an incredible season. We went for a quadruple and ended up with two and got to two of the finals. So that's going to be some pretty amazing stuff. And as, as much of that as possible, we'll try and get on display. So, you, you know, you mentioned the, uh, uh, the last season, how successful it was. And part of that success was Luis Diaz, right? Coming over um, in January. And um, Pep Linders recently told the story of how they're negotiating. Um, he had to make an emergency call to get Diaz on the phone. And the, the, um, the clincher for him to sign with Liverpool is showing him the trophies. Mm. Um, so you, you get a secondary assist for us uh, getting Luis Diaz no, you know, on a series of, you know, as a president of the supporters club here in Austin, we have a, a, a pretty big group, but also very um, uh, involved in the North American supporters. Um, anytime someone is uh, requesting suggestions, what to do, I always tell them you got to go through the museum. So we were all of us on behalf of everybody in North America, we appreciate all the work that you put forth to put that uh, display together and uh, I can't wait to go back there um, in the spring to see what you've added to it so thank you very much for that well that's very thank you for your kind words actually I was just sent um, yesterday um, I think it's uh, a football magazine called 90 Minutes and they voted our museum the ninth best football museum in the world and um Nice. Uh, TripAdvisor has placed the museum and stadium tour in the top 10% of all tourist attractions on planet Earth. Oh, <laughs> congratulations. <laughs> you know, okay, it kind of sounds good, doesn't it? So we'll take it. <laughs> That's right. Hey, hey, Neville, I don't want you to feel lonely over there, but I wanted to <laughs> ask you, you know, um, looking through the new book, which we'll get to here in a second, and just the the uh, the photos that you've taken. Um, tell us a little bit about your journey to be a professional photographer. It, it's funny because when we have match days at the pub, I'm always taking pictures of people. Who, you know, they'll make fun of me for being the guy that's sort of walking around <laughs> with a camera. But then when I post them later, they're like, "Oh, so thank you for those pictures." And I'm like, "Yeah, see, not the drunk ones. Buy me a pint. Not the drunk ones." <laughs> so you tell us about your journey because these are fabulous photos that are in this book but I'm, I'm well they're not all mine it has to be said quite a okay. few of those are steve's as well but um okay. i mean i i you know i studied sculpture and fine arts at the royal college in, in the uk when i came from south africa but um i i became really really interested in making work which wasn't 
studio based, but working in the landscape and was doing lots and lots of work outside and having to record them photographically. But after the, um, after the elections in South Africa, I went back in, in 95 uh, for a year to live there. And I was making this work in a landscape and I started photographing just informal goalposts, which were made out of sticks or anything that you could find. And I just thought they were just such extraordinary images because they gave a real sense of location, the people who played, the obsessiveness about this sport around the world. And um, that project has grown. It still carries on. I think I've got about 1,500 photographs from 50 different countries now, which I've mm -hmm. kind of got and built over the years. So so photography has always played a kind of a, a, a kind of really important part in terms of my practice, but also um, being an obsessive football fan and Liverpool fan. Uh, I've done a lot of work in the city. I, I, you know, I, I was a Tate Liverpool for, for a year in 99, 2000. I lived in the city for a further six years, just down the road. So, um, you know, I got to know the city, city very well. And so much a part of that was really exploring it photographically. So um, the book really just grew very much out of that and out of, my relationship with Steve, which goes back to, you know, 20 odd years as well. Um, and I think just following up, you know, Steve's talk about memorabilia, you know, as Steve was talking, I was thinking we all collect stuff. We all have those objects which don't have any huge necessary kind of monetary value, but which have incredible significance, you know, to us as individuals and for particular moments. And, um, you know, I think that that's a really important part of our own history and legacy and relationship with something like a football club or a city, um, which I think is so important. I mean, I have a beaten up old scarf somewhere in my collection now from the 78 uh, European Cup final at Wembley, which I went to. It wasn't a great game, but I remember Kenny Dalglish scoring that winning goal. And, um, you know, that, that scarf has been with me ever since. And, and it's a real something I absolutely treasure. And I think all fans have that. And that idea of, mm -hmm. you know, collecting it together collectively for a club at, a, at, a, at the museum is a brilliant thing. Yeah, you know, you I'm sorry about that. I was just going to mention that it's uh, it's been interesting to see in the in the recent last couple of years how taking photographs around the city with all the the new player murals mm, and exactly. how that's become a cottage industry, right? And yeah, and that's one of the things that people look forward to whenever they go to uh, Liverpool now is to go take pictures in front of those those murals of the players. So I I, I find it fascinating that it's kind of. Um, created this, uh, you know, this kind of a, a business type environment for, for that type well, of it was, uh, tour. It was interesting because I was there just, just a few weeks ago, you know, taking a photograph of one and um, some some tourists as the city came up to me and said, oh, please tell us where them some are. there's some right. others. We'd love to go and find them. And it, it was really nice. They will go and have a look down there or go mm -hmm. down to, you know, uh, the centre of town. There's a fantastic one of Jürgen Klopp, you know. And I think... It's another way of people being able to really explore a landscape and get a sense of, you know, the kind of the city and, and just how the club is completely embedded into the fabric of that city. Mm. Yeah, Steve, I'm sorry I interrupted you earlier. Oh, no, no problem. No problem. I was just going to say, um, picking up what Neville was saying about, you know, the humble objects, if you like, things that each supporter 
you know, treasures and considers uh, important. Um, it, it, I think it's um, it, it would be nice to share this story because we've just recently lost um, uh, David Moores, who was the, the owner of the club for a great many years. And indeed, he was one of the people who, who gave me my job. And I knew I got to know David very, very well. And he was an absolutely lovely, lovely man. And I have extremely good memories of him. But I think it's worth knowing that um, shortly after I was given the job, um, I was invited by him to attend uh, an incredible assembly of former Liverpool players and everything. It was like incredible. So, But he said, no, 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 come and sit with me. So I sat with Peter Robinson, who's also sadly passed now. And during this lunch where I was just thinking, I can't believe the kind of, you know, this stellar lineup of people. And I'm sitting there talking to the owner of the club. And he said, Steve, he said, um, look, we know you have um, qualifications as a museum curator. You know, not for me to comment. You know, you, you, that's your profession. Do it. He said, but you know, one of the main reasons I wanted you to take the job, you're a fan. Never stop <laughs> being a fan. And he said, you make the museum for the supporters of the club and lovers of football. It's not for me. And it's not for the directors. It's not for the manager. And he says, never forget that and never change. And in fairness, with changes of ownership and so on, it has, in fact, never changed. Our museum primarily is really about supporters, actually. <laughs> and it's definitely for supporters and it's not to please sponsors and funders or anyone else it's it's it, you know uh, and and so yeah what neville said is it actually turns out it's kind of built into the fabric of why the museum exists yeah that's perfect you know we've been speaking for almost half an hour and we've yet to talk about your book so let's get into the book this is uh it's fabulous i i really got to give you guys a bunch of uh kudos for the, the way it's laid out and the stories that you've brought in there uh two post at anfield integrating Neville's, uh, you know, photos of goalposts around the world, but so many of your, the stories. And so take us back, you know, we've had so many authors on our show, but it's always interesting to me and our audience to find out what was the genesis of the idea? You know, how did you come up with the theme of this book? Um, well, I guess Steve and I, as I said, met many, many years ago and I did an exhibition uh, with with Steve um, based on the, the collection of the museum. And I was really, I really felt that there was much, much more we could do and kind of explore around around that. Um, and so we, we kind of met and we chatted and, um, you know, I, I mean, there are so many different stories, so many other things we could explore and do, but we really felt we needed to start with something. And we wanted to do a book which had something which was very very current mm -hmm. you know so um to do something around Mo Salah was really interesting particularly because of the kind of huge shift in in culture and mm -hmm. what that that means for the city and what that means for a, a Muslim player playing mm -hmm. for the club and but we also wanted to evoke some of the history of the club mm -hmm. and how the relationship culturally to the community has changed over the years and I think um certainly for myself we kind of always saw this as one of what could be a number of books, but it was great to start with one. And um, yeah, I mean, doing it with Steve was an absolute delight. It was a pleasure. <laughs> was, was that a, yeah, was that a um, concerted effort to just suppose Mo Salah's story with Avi Cohen's 
because I thought that was very interesting. You know, you have the, the first Jewish player and then then you you the next chapter is about mm-hmm. a, a Muslim player. Yeah. So was that intentional or, or is that just how the stories came out? I, I think it, it was intentional. We also really wanted to focus on the, f- the first black player to play mm-hmm. for the for the yeah. club, Howard Gale, and really give a sense of you know how the you know the, the club in you know for all its rootedness to the city and for the players that have come from the city who've been so much a part of the club. It's actually very broad in terms of of who that family of mm-hmm. you know Liverpool players are and who the city will embrace and make their own. And I think it was. In a sense, the first publication, this one was a celebration of that idea. Yeah, yeah. I would. I picking up on that. If you if you look at um, you know, we've already discussed Neville's background. You know, originally you know from South Africa. I, I I'm I'm not born in Liverpool. Was living elsewhere. In a way, we're kind of almost like if you can say outsiders. But you come into the city. You you want to support the club, and you are immediately you become part of this enormous family. And if you if you take the arching theme throughout the whole book, whatever your background, whatever your skin color, whatever your religion, you pull on that red shirt and you're just part of of this family. And the incredible thing about it is it's it's one of those things. It's it's kind of it's kind of nice to say. And you like to think that it's true. But actually, you know, when we we, we got to to um, uh, got, you know, started putting the whole book together and drawing all the, th- the threads of it together, you realize it really is the case actually. And uh, particularly when we were sitting with Howard Gale, you know, the, our first black player and, and he, he had problems. I mean, there were issues in, uh, involved with being both local and black and also playing in football, just taking a long time to, uh, to, to, to assimilate black players or whatever. But, you know, but, he then made this comment, which was extraordinary, because he knew we'd done a piece about Avi Cohen. And he just basically said, oh, yeah, Avi Cohen. He says, yeah, you know, he says, when he first arrived, he says, I'll be completely frank. I'll put my hand up and say, oh, I had some issues about Israelis and Jews, really. I'll, I'll, I'll admit that. I met Avi Cohen. Five minutes later, oh, I fell in love with the guy. I loved him. Brilliant. Ah, oh, can't speak highly enough of him. Just amazing. I just love the guy. Mm-hmm. And instantly we just thought, this is incredible. Somehow we'd sketched out this concept. Mm-hmm. And then when we finally got to do one of the final, the, the, the last interviews, if you like, this guy, if you like, without prompting, summed up exactly what we were saying, which is you pull on the red shirt, you become all part of a family. And it's, and, and, you know, I hope that in our own little way, where that's what we're kind of getting across to people, I suppose. You know, we had Howard Gale as one of our very first uh, episodes, and um, <laughs> and it was uh, very interesting because this. It, I think I came out of that thinking this story needs to be told more often, right? I don't think he gets the notoriety and some of the press that I think that his his trailblazing to the club really. Yeah. Mm-hmm. deserves right and you also you give avi cohen a um um a good piece in the book too you know he only played 28 games but if the, the cultural uh aspects that they brought to the club and you know howard's still living there in liverpool i still don't think he he gets some of the respect that he deserves so that's just mm-hmm. my own opinion mm-hmm. what was great about howard is no holds barred what what yeah. you see is what you get with him uh, he doesn't shy away from, you know, being provocative. Uh, and it was eye-opening um, for me and Steve, to, to be mm-hmm. honest, um, because he had a lot to say about 
Liverpool Football Club too about him not getting like an ambassador role, um, mm. which you know didn't really sit well with him, especially in the with the black community in Liverpool. So, um, but you know to to make a book like this, like how how do you like even start though? Like uh, <laughs> you know because I mean it is a pretty big book, uh, amazing stories in it. But how how do you sit down and just do the layout? Well, I, I guess to begin with, it was it was a real gamble. It was Steve and I thinking, this is a lovely idea. Let's let's take a punt on it. We didn't have a publisher at the time, so it was really just the two of us taking an absolute punt, getting on on a plane to Egypt where neither of us had been before, and starting. And it was a, it was a <laughs> You know, it was really jumping in at the deep end. And I think, um, again, we had such a positive and incredible experience in Egypt, although we'd been told, don't go, it's dangerous. You know, um, when we got there, the, the response was so positive. And when we saw how, you know, um, Mo Salah is not only loved, you know, in in country in the country and in the the Greek where he grew up, but how much he's invested back into that community. Mm -hmm. um, it, it was eye-opening, actually, and I think that um, we came back really, well, certainly I did, really fired up about wanting to kind of build it and do more. It was difficult, I won't argue, to, to find a publisher because it's not it's not the usual football book. It sits, it sits um, somewhere between football, art, history. Um, so it's not a, not an easy book for a publisher to put on a shelf. It doesn't have all the, the trophies or all the kind of uh, games and, you know, results or anything like that. It's not a standard book in that sense. So it, it has been a hard journey to find the publisher. Um, but I think um, I kind of stand back and think we, we managed to get the book that we wanted to do. I hope it becomes, you know, something of a success so that we can do a second iteration of it. But regardless, it was a book that I felt we, we both can stand back and feel we're happy with. You know, the description, it says part travelogue, which, you know, I totally agree with you kind of immersing the reader into the into Egypt and Israel and, and then South Africa. I think Stephen yeah. really just wanted to go down there. I think that's the ultimate reason for writing the book. So <laughs> <laughs> you're probably right. <laughs> no, actually it was, um, I mean, the most Salah one, for instance, you know, looking for Mo, as we call it. Um, one of the, the decisions we made uh, right at the beginning of that is, yeah, we're going to take a punt. We're going to go to Israel, um, Egypt, um, and, and, and literally to look for Mo Salah. But the whole point is we're not going to try and meet Mo Salah. Mm -hmm. I mean, I suppose I could have pulled strings. We could have perhaps arranged some kind of formal meeting up, at, you know, with Mo to do an interview. But no, the whole point is most of the 800 million plus supporters of Liverpool football around the world will never meet Mo Salah mm -hmm. or a few milliseconds for a selfie, you know, with him. But that's it. So you don't meet him but that's actually okay because you know i don't want to kind of say look i work for liberal football club so look i can meet most of we can sit and have right. a chat with him it's like yeah well obviously you do what's no no this, this, this anyone in the world can go on a trail looking for their hero if you like so who knows whether we'd find anything i mean it was a 
possibility we could get to Cairo <laughs> and find one tatty poster and think, right, okay, we're gonna I'm gonna have to really need to find a way of making a magical story out of this. It was but it wasn't like that at all. But it but it was a road trip. It was a road of discovery, discovery for the two of us, but also a road of discovering how people felt about their amazing hero. He really is like the king of Egypt. And it and it more than delivered. And it was extraordinary. And you've got this incredible sense of this person and, and the respect that he's held in. But conversely, we also had encounters with people, and when they realized, you know, you know, where I worked. You know, the response was just crazy. You know, Liverpool Football Club, oh my God, you know, Mo Salah, you know, it's, yeah. it's that was really something special. But then in a similar way, we, we really had this feeling we want to do something about Avi because we feel that Avi Cohen is an incredibly important mm-hmm. player, even if he didn't play an enormous number of games. So he actually played an awful lot of games in the reserves alongside Harry Gale, actually, a large number, a great large number of games. But in fact, even trying to organise that, it just landed. It was as if it was destined because um, we got in touch with his widow, Dorrit, and she said, well, when are you thinking of coming over? And he said, well, we're kind of thinking like early autumn, around about September. He says, well, if you can come on this date, we're naming, renaming a stadium where he first started playing football, the Abbey Cohen Stadium, mm-hmm. and Alan Kennedy will be there. And we just thought... <laughs> Alan Kennedy, you go anywhere. Do it. <laughs> you have to do it, and, and, and so so those so in a way they kind of fell together. I mean, but you know, it was a risk, but yeah. it, it, it worked. And I think you know sometimes you just got to kind of jump on a plane and hope for the best. Uh, and I think both of them were, were deeply fulfilling, and and I think they they achieved our, our aim. I hope, well, at least I hope so. You know, uh, being the curator of the museum, obviously. Uh, the Spine Cop has such historical significance, mm. right? There's a supporters club, obviously local there. That's the Spine Cop. And um, what when you went down there to South Africa and, and visited, what did you did you learn anything new about the, the history? And, we didn't visit South Africa. Never. Oh, no. I kind of grew up there, so I right, kind of yeah, knew it. Neville, okay. Neville knows about South Africa and oh, okay. calf, yeah. He, okay, he went okay. camping on the side of it, <laughs> trailing white rhinos. <laughs> Did you find yeah. information when you're doing that part of the book about, you know, the history of... of, uh, of well, actually, again, you know, um, since, since the... The elections in '94. I've been going back to South Africa fairly regularly, um, and there is a huge fan base support for, for Liverpool Football Club um, in in the country. But that connection physically to the landscape, I thought, was quite a, a kind of a wonderful thing, and so tied into the history uh, of the club. Um, you know, and and then of course, you know. Perhaps one of my my particular favourites, Skippy Johnson, was born in Johannesburg, South Africa. So, although he's a you know he's counted as an Australian player, he is from there. So, um, and he's a player I used to love watching play. So, I mean, there were so many connections again, and I just wanted to kind of again build that bridge a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I think there's so many ways, you know. I would love to kind of continue exploring what Steve and I have have started. I think there's we've got bags full of things we could try and do. Um, the, yeah, these, you had mentioned that a these two edition. will be in the museum later on in life. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> probably. I do think I've probably become a bit of a fixture at Anfield. I just uh, noticed on the, the design cover, right? Two posts in a field in, yes. with the Anfield. So I just noticed, I was like, I was looking at it. <laughs> that's, yeah. that's great design cover right there. <laughs> yeah, got it. Two players, two posts in the field. Yes. Anfield. And Anfield, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Was, yeah. It was staring at me. And I kept looking at it like, that's weird there. <laughs> <laughs> it, it's a great book. The photos in there and the stories are amazing. So we can't yeah. wait to to see what you guys conjure up for a, another edition there. Yeah, well, it's actually I think what's uh, interesting. You you asked uh, right at sort of the top of this um, sequence and talking about the book where, where where it first gestated from. And actually, it occurred to me while while, while I was listening, I just think, actually the, the, there is actually almost like the the first little awakenings of, 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 of this book um, when back in 1999 EMI and Liverpool Football Club um, asked me to compile um, a CD of music um, uh, and I could call whatever I like the theme could be whatever I like but basically we did, we did a deal with EMI uh, records and so it was completely over to me to do what I like so I put together some music from Liverpool bands some well known some unknown and so on and we called it uh, Mersey Boys and Liverpool Girls but this is where Neville comes in we got Neville uh, on board to come and take some photographs and he took objects from the museum and then took them into the environment so we took a Ray Clement authentic Ray Clements goalkeeper's jersey and made it into literally jumpers for goalposts. And uh, we took uh, uh, a big um, logo of a little football club from the side of the Spion Cop and, and put that out uh, in front of, I think it was the Falcon Pub that filtered. Yeah, yeah, the Falcon Pub in Kirby. Anyway, so the point is that's when we first started yes. working together and taking this idea of objects and taking them out and doing something with them. So that was the first beginnings if you like and i guess it's now come to full fruition in this book and hopefully yeah. we can we can do and, more. and again it was it was very much about connecting up with fans so mm-hmm. steve would let me come and raid the museum and i'd go off with bill shankley's typewriter you know an amazing object but then take it to people's homes and have conversations around what it meant for them and i think you know when you start seeing those connections it, it was it was fantastic it was wonderful <laughs> you know, yeah. I, I wanted to ask you a question, Stephen. As, as a curator of the museum, I've always been fascinated. Like, how do you decide what is presented? Because you're, the, the space isn't changing. I, I wouldn't imagine it. I, even though we're expanding the stadium, I don't. I don't think the museum is getting you know X amount no, of not. space. Right. So, how do you ro- do you rotate things? Because as each trophy comes and yeah. uh, more history is made, how do you kind of <laughs> decide what's ha- what? Is displayed. Yeah, actually, um, I, I had a phone call with uh, Jürgen. No, I didn't. But I said, don't win anything else because we've got space. <laughs> I mean, it was getting to the point where I thought, if we win four, we're in really big trouble here, actually. <laughs> right. I mean, I jest. I mean, there's space. It will be a delightful problem to have. But, 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 but seriously, yes, we do have an issue. Mm-hmm. And it's a very delightful issue at the moment where we are on a little bit of a roll here. Um, keep adding new stuff, which, of course, people want to see. And I fully understand people get that. And... Um, um, and so we must reflect that. Um, but at the same time, we must never lose sight of the fact that we've got this incredible 130, odd year, 130 years of history. And we mustn't lose sight of that. And in fact, one of the things that I will do as soon as I get back to England um, is that I've been putting together 
um, a rebuild of these four cabinets, which are inter, inter, interlinked together, and 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 in a in a space of approximately thirty five objects, trying to give a quick gallop through one hundred and thirty years of history. Now, I know you could argue the whole museum is one hundred and thirty years of history, but since it is our one hundred thirtieth anniversary, we thought, could we maybe just do a little kind of, I don't know, just. If you like, it's an excuse to bring a somewhat random collection of things across the years together without having to worry too much whether they th- th- there's any more logic other than, hey, it's, it's 130 years of history and it's a great opportunity for you to see stuff that you haven't seen. Because yeah. I am conscious of the fact there's a lot of stuff I think people should see that they aren't seeing. And it's nice to freshen things up or or, or even to just put things in different combinations. So whilst it may, the curl cup being a classic example, which I mentioned earlier, that's on display currently in the museum in a location it's been in for a great number of years. I think it would be quite nice to put that in the 130th year exhibition mm-hmm. surrounded by some other mm-hmm. objects that represent some of the league championships that we've won, just as a way of giving, maybe giving people a fresh look at that. But it is a difficult choice, yeah. Uh, and, you know, I am conscious that, you know, your your, your, your personal favourite isn't on display at the moment, and I, I do regret that and and so on. But, you know, we're gonna, we have a very finite amount of space, so I just have to juggle things around and do the best I can, really. Yeah. Well, anytime I watch Night at the Museum, I'll think of you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's not quite as exciting, honestly. <laughs> <clears throat> Although we had Jamie Carragher in the other day, but uh, watch this space. I'll say no more. But uh, there oh, could really? be a freshening up uh, in the next few months. Let's just see what happens. See how that one plays out. <laughs> Stephen, do, do you go out and search these objects, or do does the club, or do people like kind of phone you up and go, "I've I've got something I think you'd like." Um, on the whole, we don't proactively go out and get stuff, and we don't proactively purchase stuff. It was a decision made a long, 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 long time ago. And whilst it has frustrations and it has irritations, I don't have an enormous checkbook to buy stuff. I do think ultimately it was the right move. My counterpart, who's still in the same job at Manchester United, said day one, yeah, here's a whopping great budget. Here's a checkbook. Go and buy whatever you need for Manchester United. And he said at first, this was like, hey, happy days. I can buy this. I can go on that auction site. I can do this. I can do that. And then he suddenly discovered that no one ever donated anything. (laughs) You've got a checkbook. (laughs) I'm not being stupid here, but you'd like this for the museum. Yeah, we'd really like that for the museum. Well, how much are you going to pay me for it? Mm -hmm. That's been Man United's solution to everything. (laughs) (laughs) And football memorabilia is getting more and more and more and more and more expensive. In fact, get to the point now where it's quite extraordinarily expensive what you then realize is no be patient and you 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 develop relationships with former players former players loan stuff former players give stuff more and more they do so um and the thing is when you're getting stuff from former players you're talking the the creme de la creme you're getting the really the top stuff i mean there can be no better example than that in that it has been one of the great pleasures and delights of my career is that i got to know um roger hunt sir roger hunt obe uh and england world cup winner uh extremely well 
And um, I mean, he was one of my great, great footballing heroes and an absolute gentleman. I mean, it's a tragic loss to the world that he's no longer with us. But through getting to know him, um, and indeed, we, we actually went on an away trip to, to Cologne um, to celebrate the, 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 the infamous uh, never-ending tie between Liverpool and 1FC Cologne. that went on for about four different football matches with no gold scored throughout. American viewers just turn off now. <laughs> anyway, it ended up with us flipping a piece of wood, which may or may not have balanced in the mud in our favour, so we went through. But anyway, as it may, I got to know him. But as a result of getting to know him and he deciding that he liked me in return, he then said one day, what do you think about the 1966 Jules Rimet winner's medal coming to the museum? Huh? And that's where it is. It's the only one on public display anywhere wow. in the world. The rest are all now in private collections and can't be seen. And Roger generously loaned the medal um, an England shirt, another memorabilia from from that incredible 1966 World Cup. I mean, items of profound importance mm-hmm. to the nation, to football, and to Liverpool Football Club, uh, and, of, and of a value that is just crazy. And uh, and now with his passing, I mean, the family wished these items to remain. Um, now, there's no way you can go out buying this stuff, but you dream of it. But actually, I, I keep mentioning this curl at cup, for instance. But the reason, I'm, uh, but, but actually, that is a perfect way of answering your question. I remember sitting with a, a good friend of mine, um, Adrian, whose knowledge of the club is is literally encyclopedic, and uh, and we were sitting there one day just saying, and I said to him, you know what, Adrian, it'd be kind of fun if we just made a, a list of objects we dream about ever stumbling upon, and we both agreed. <laughs> This cup, this plastic urn, would be just like the most incredible thing. But obviously, it's gone for landfill years ago. And then, you know, a few years later, you get a, oh, Steve, there's a couple of guys downstairs and they've got this weird plastic thing. And they (laughs) don't see you. And I thought, oh, my goodness. They walked in through the door. And, you know, tick. And actually, in fairness, over 25 years, I think I'd say most of my list has been ticked off. You know, um, 1914 FA Cup final match day program loaned to us. You want to buy one? You, you sell your car and, you know, cash convert it and you can get one. A lovely, <laughs> lovely Liverpool supporter who's completely obsessive about final and semi final programs has got the biggest collection and most complete collection of anyone in the world of Liverpool. And just, well, they, they reside with you at Anfield. They're mine, but. I'm not taking them back. And he says, including the 1914 FA Cup final wow. program. So, you know, you, you, you make relationships and friendships and, and, and slowly, you know, it builds up. And, I, and you know what? I still think that is the best way mm. because it, it feels more real and more honest somehow. Things are coming to the museum for the right reasons, not just we are whopping great bank vault full of cash and just go and buy stuff. Uh, I think it's rather nice. You know, another a beautiful example, Ray Clements. I mean, you know, what a, what a wonderful, wonderful, wonderful man. What a wonderful goalkeeper. And um, in about 1998, he was at Anfield. It was before a game, Liverpool versus Tottenham Hotspur. And he was there with Tottenham, goalkeeping coach at the time. And I just walked up to him, introduced myself. Oh, yeah, yeah. I gave him a card. And I said, oh, Ray, you know, do you think there's anything you might have that 
we go to the museums. Mm, yeah, leave it with me. Off he went. A couple of days later, package arrived on my desk, opened it. Lovely handwritten note. Dear Steve, lovely to meet you the other day. This is my actual shirt from the 1981 European Cup final. Is this any good? Oh, God. <laughs> you sent it back, right? Uh, I said to him, I was hoping something slightly more interesting, but okay, whatever, we'll take what we get. <laughs> I mean, seriously, it, it's never gone off display. I cannot see a time it ever will go off display. And in fact, going to our book, yeah. uh, in the book, you see me wearing a reproduction of that actual shirt, because in fact, the club back in 1999 made reproductions of the 1981 Ray Clements European Cup final shirt, of which we have the original. And as a result of wearing, I kept wearing that in five-a-side, and then as, as, as the book, uh, as, as it says, in the, as I tell the story in, in the book, you know, we unfortunately, Ray loses his battle with cancer. And I was tasked with how are we going to properly uh, honour this wonderful man on the pitch? And I thought, I don't know. And it was lockdown as well. And I said, look, I don't want to sound disrespectful. I don't want to sound crazy, but literally I've got two days to find a solution and it's lockdown. I have got my five-a-side shirt, which I've worn for like 20 years, but it's in really quite good condition, which it was. And it is an exact replica of the last shirt Ray Clements ever wore for the football club. So Alison Becker wore my version of Ray Clements' shirt, which was the last shirt that Ray wore for Liverpool. And he actually wore it. And in fact, he was even good at he had permission actually to wear it during the game um but then it's slightly embarrassing this um our um pr exec lovely man uh knows me really well he, he heard the story because he said oh, oh gosh you're actually giving your actual shirt away and i said oh, it's just a five-side shirt honestly craig it's fine but then i said to look I, I i'm more than happy to give it because i actually lost my own father to to the same you know to prostate cancer so the fact that this shirt will then be auctioned to raise money for that particular charity, you know, that, that, that kind of means something. Well, then it just gets completely ridiculous because Craig then said to Alison, there's no way you're wearing that shirt during the game. It's far too precious. Do you understand? No, it's just my shirt. And actually, rather, he wore it during the game. But he, he came on, and, the, and all the footballing coaches and the other uh, the other goalkeeper, goalkeeping coaches and the other goalkeepers, they stood there. Alison wore it, and he carefully took it off, folded it, and laid it with a wreath, and it was behind a goal. I mean, extraordinary. But that all comes from we didn't buy a Ray Clement shirt. Ray said, hey, will this do? You know, and, and, and that, that I can re- reproduce those stories over and over and over. You know. I think the moral of that story to me is that you're in the same fit as Alison Becker. So, yes. Can I just point out that I actually can still fit in it? And actually, that's, that's right. See, that's what I was thinking. The same shirt. Yeah. And I, I probably got at least 40 years on Alison Becker. So. That's right. Well, you know, we just saw him without a shirt carrying a big old fish. So I'm now, I'm, I'm picturing you. So <laughs> kudos to you. Anytime you could fit in your clothes from 10 years ago, mm-hmm. you know, I'll give you well, 20 give years ago. Respect. Or 20 years. Yeah. That's- 20 years ago, 20 years ago. Yeah. Yeah. So I, uh, yeah. I, I, yeah. There you go. Take it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Just go with that. Just go with it. Yeah, that's right. Well, it, it, 
it wouldn't be right of me, Stephen, if I didn't ask you your top three items from the museum. I'll put you on the spot. Which mean, okay. mean something to you. Rather the top than... three items, yeah, the ones that I, I care about the most. Um, yeah, I, I mean, I, I've got to say, it isn't a strictly straightforward Liverpool Football Club object. But of course, it, and it, it, Rogers World Cup medal, I mean, it's, it's solid gold. I mean, we're not talking some great hubcap, which you probably get made out of plastic to win a World Cup these days. This was, it's tiny mm-hmm. and it's jewel-like. And it's utterly precious. And I'm not the, 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 the greatest England supporter or anything, but nonetheless, I do vaguely kind of still remember the, the World Cup. But it, it, it's what it means and, uh, and the man who won it. And the fact that I knew and uh, um, was invited along privately to take what was actually has become the very last photograph of Sir Roger at Anfield with his family. It was planned to be that way. And that's what I did. And to have the right to stand there with him holding that medal, knowing that that is the last picture of him, you know, that, that, that really means something to me that, so, you know, so that, that, that's one. Yeah. I mean, I've got to say, the real trophy from Istanbul. I mean, let's face it, it was the 25th of the 5th, you know, 05. And uh, and it was the 50th European Cup. And it's the last one that will ever be won and kept by a football team in the world. And it was ours. And, you know, it's got the dent, which I was told about. So I told the world's media, now the dent is actually (laughs) famous than the trophy. You know, Um, the stories of who dented it change. Who cares? Doesn't matter. The fact is it happened. I think think that, you know, and the whole whole atmosphere, I I think it's difficult not to to, to, to ask, you know, to, 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 to say to that and then I'd say what the other favorite object I've got it's a very tiny very humble little thing I mean it's again very small just as the Jules trophy and it's worn smooth and I think this is telling in itself and it was a Lancashire Reserve League winners medal from 1892-93 our first season we ever existed the guy who won it, you will never have heard of. The guy who won it never played in the first team. He only ever got into the reserves of Liverpool Football Club in 1892-93. But he got a medal. Mm-hmm. And he was very proud of this medal. And it's been handed down through his family. And it's been polished and polished and caressed, obviously shown and passed around children, grandchildren, great-grandchildren, all those decades and it's come to our museum. And I look at this and think the name of the player is, means nothing to most people. And you look at that and then you look at, you know, the trophy from Istanbul and you look at everything that we've won and you look at where Jurgen Klopp has got us and it came from this tiny, tiny, humble little thing. And I just think it wouldn't it be lovely to be able to go back and meet that guy and say, you were the beginning and you, you know, you were, you know, you were the reserve who won something. Yet you knew it was important, knew it was significant, but you couldn't have even begun to imagine how important the eight hundred million people around the world <laughs> would care. You know, so 
that that I, I will say those three. Yeah, proper legend. You know how I I had a discussion actually the other day. Um, you know because the word legend does get banded about far too easily these days. But um, when you play for Liverpool Football Club, where whether you're a first teamer or not, especially you know in the early days uh, of Shanks and Paisley, you're a legend to me. You know, and a lot of the kids nowadays will go, how many goals did they score? How many appearances? How is how is that a legend? But to us, they are because they've put the shirt on, they've worn that badge. So hearing that story, you just I think that man is a legend. 1892-93, when the club started. Yes. There's not much more you can say. And he gave his heart and soul and he managed to win the league. It may be a very humble league. Mm. Doesn't matter. He played to win and he won. And he got a little medal. And he, he but it's the way it's been handled and worn smooth. You know, it, it wasn't just chucked in a in a drawer somewhere and forgotten about, and then somebody who found it, you know, 120 plus years later. No, no, it's been, you know, shown talked about. Yeah. And and I think that says everything to me. I, I I just feel you know I would just love to be able to go back to that guy and shake him by the hand and say, "Well done, mate." <laughs> by the way, have you got any idea what you started? Exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, it'd no, be lovely, wouldn't it? Yeah, those are the kind of stories I love. You know, um, we have a mate, Jeff Golden, who did the Untouchables yes. again. Yeah. It's it's another story that needed to be told. Um, mm. I'm so happy you t- you two finally have come on because again, if, if you're if you're a Liverpool fan, well, I mean, I even heard of just football fans going to the museum, not Liverpool supporters, mm. yeah. because they just love the history of of our mm. club, and um, it, it needs to continue. More people, uh, as you were, we were saying off the air, I, I think more people need to come to the museum, uh, spend an hour in there, you know. Because I, I, you know, growing up in Formby, um, we had a botanical gardens, and um, mm. there was a, an old like war museum in there. Just, just you know, ten ten feet by ten feet of just little uh, the old soldiers, cavalry soldiers, and I would go there like every weekend and just stare and stare and stare, thinking, you know, what happened. On on this makeshift battlefield, and and that's how I feel about Liverpool too. Um, it's a battlefield of football, and going. I've been to the museum quite a few times, and it's amazing. You you just get lost in there. Mm-hmm. You don't have to be into history. It, it's the stories again, you know, that come with these objects. And well, that's what Neville and myself try and do: is tell stories, both visually and in words between the two of us. And and that's what we were trying to do, because I, I agree, the best way to bring objects and and, and, and things alive is tell stories. Mm. And the two of us, we, we absolutely share this, this this passion to try and do it. So I, I hope that this book is, is book one of a series, because um, these kind of... Because I think these stories are really... Uh, that, that, that's what people remember. You know, you yeah. tell a story about something and people then remember it. Whereas just looking at an object, I don't know, you know, it's an object, but everyone will tell the story. They may forget the story and it changes a bit, and that's what 
and they become apocryphal, of which they will have a huge number of those. But that's also kind of fun in its own way. But, but anyway, but that's what we were trying to do with our book. We were trying to get mm. objects and some personalities, blend them all together, but more importantly, try and tell a story, be it a visual story or a, a written story. You know, so hopefully it succeeded. Uh, you've nailed it. You've nailed it. And I, and I, I can't wait to see on a camel. Again, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Actually, there is a photograph of me somewhere with the <laughs> with the head in front of a, 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 in front of a uh, of a pyramid. I'll I'll dig it out. <laughs> it was very hard. It was. <laughs> I was probably I was probably uh, having a mirage. If, <laughs> if, uh, well, well, we want to let all our uh, listeners and viewers know that when you are in Liverpool, please. Take in the museum. Steve has done a great job there. And purchase this book. I, I guarantee you won't be disappointed in the, the stories and in the photos, the great photos by Neville and the way they put the book together. So I uh, highly recommend getting this book if you're a Liverpool fan and just want to, you know, get something a little bit different than just game analysis. So this is a perfect read for you guys. Thank you.